0: Good morning, Central. That's a great response. Thank you. It is wonderful to see so many familiar and many non familiar faces out there this morning. Uh, just so you know, my name is Tyler Schultz. I was born and raised here in Chilliwack, and I've lived here most of my life, attended Central since uh, the weekend after I was born, except for the past five years. Uh, where I was serving with my wife and my three daughters in uh, Burundi as missionaries. So when Pastor Matt called a couple weeks ago and said, hey, Mission Sunday is coming up, I was honoured to be able to be asked to come and speak with you this morning. Um, For those of you, which I assume is most of you not familiar with Burundi, it's a small landlocked country in East Africa. Uh, It's roughly the same size as Vancouver Island. Uh, except it boasts a population of about 11 million people. Uh, to put that in perspective, that would be like taking the entire population of BC, Alberta and Saskatchewan and moving them onto to Vancouver Island and calling that a country. So there are a lot of people there. There's also a lot of poverty there as Burundi is regularly ranked amongst one of the five poorest countries in the world and is often uh, able to claim that number one spot. It's not an unchurched country though. It's actually 70 to 80% of the people there would claim to be Christian. That's not to say that they ever go to church or have any sort of personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's this uh, title that they've inherited from their parents and from previous generations. So then you may be asking yourself why on earth would we send a missionary to a country where there're already 70 to 80% of the people are calling themselves Christians? Well, our role as missionaries in Burundi uh, was not the typical stereotype role of a missionary, I would say. Uh, There's probably a lot of misconceptions about what missionary work actually is, but we weren't planting churches. Uh, I very, very rarely preach, and I definitely was not out standing on street corners um, yelling at people from a box or anything. So what exactly were we doing? That's a great question. And like right up till the day that we actually landed in Burundi, I, I didn't know. I really had no idea. And, and sometimes, right up until the day we left, I wondered what a day was going to have in store for me. But fortunately, uh, God had a role for us. And as capacity builders, that meant we were coming alongside existing Christian ministries in Burundi uh, and helping to build capacity in them, which essentially is just a fancy way of saying we were taking what they were already doing and trying to help them to do it better. So though we didn't always know what we were doing, uh, God did, and he gave us some amazing stories and had some wonderful things in store for us there. So this morning, I would like to share a little bit about Brundi with you. Turn with your Bibles, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to First John, chapter one, verses one to four, if you would, or follow along on screen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen. And heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That is the word of the Lord. So I want to present a snapshot this morning of some of the exciting experiences, some of the everyday, and some of the everlasting components of mission. When I read this passage a couple weeks ago as part of uh, my regular daily devotions, it really struck me and I just kept coming back to it over the last couple of weeks. It's just like, what a great way to start a letter that you're writing to somebody. Uh, over the years in Burundi, we were required to write many newsletters, uh, but I don't think we ever started one nearly this well. But John starts us off, he's establishing his firsthand encounters with Jesus. He's establishing his experiences that which was from the beginning, being Jesus, which we have heard, seen, looked upon, and touched concerning the word of life. And just in case his readers miss it, in verse one, two, and three, he says it over and over again. He says, what we have seen, heard, and testified to, this we proclaim to you. He wants the people that are getting this letter to know, I was there, I experienced this, and now I'm proclaiming it to you also. So that's what I'm doing this morning. I was in Burundi. I saw amazing things. I'd like to proclaim them to you. But before I get into that, I actually want to talk about the book of Acts a little bit first. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that it's a truly awe-inspiring book. If you haven't read it, please do. It's the original missionary handbook detailing the amazing things God was doing to establish his early church. And it talks about uh, Paul going out on these missionary journeys. But much of the book of Acts actually seems beyond belief. You know, we went there and we healed this person. Or, you know, we went here and planted this church. Or we went there and we got beat up and thrown in prison. But then God did amazing things and opened the doors for us. But we decided not to leave. And then the jailer and his whole family came to faith. And it was amazing. (sighs) These are exciting experiences. These are amazing things. But... If you're like me, after you read over that a couple of times, it becomes easy to to sort of gloss over the the importance of these amazing things. It becomes easy to say, "Oh, that was great, but that was then. It's you know, we don't see stuff like that anymore. It doesn't happen." Well, last August, I was really excited, and I don't get very excited often, but I was excited. I was going to take part in a nationwide uh, outreach campaign, and in Burundi nationwide because it's so small, it's actually possible. Uh, but one of our partners, Harvest Initiatives, organized over 600 Burundian young adults who are just on fire for Jesus to go out into the countryside and proclaim the gospel message to their fellow countrymen who hadn't heard it before. And so I was excited because I thought I was going to get to be a part of this. But as a as a Mzungu, which is the the term used in Burundi for foreigners. Wanting to do outreach in rural Burundi but being quite not Burundian it was actually there was this discussion amongst the leadership of this outreach and they came to me and they said, um, you know, you're actually going to be more of a distraction than a help if you come and join one of our teams on the ground. And so I was, I was a little bit disappointed because I was actually excited about, about doing this and really wanted to be part of it and so I just said to them, you know, I will do that's fine. I absolutely respect that, but I'll do anything that you guys need to help to make this a success. If it's stay put and just support teams and pray for them and do, you know what, I'm happy to do that. So the leadership then got together after that and and they had a brainstorming session and they they came to a realization that one thing they'd always wanted to do on this outreach, it had been going on for like 15 years and growing each year. One thing they'd always wanted to do was to be able to show the Jesus film in the local language of Kirundi to the remote communities around the country. But no one had ever had a a vehicle that had been part of the campaign before that was reliable enough and big enough to to actually take all the equipment around. Because when you're going to set up uh, a theater in remote communities in Burundi, that means bringing the entire theater, which is your computer, your projector, the screen, the speakers, the soundboard, the mics, and also a generator because most of the places we were going didn't have electricity. And they came to me and said, would you be willing to do this? Because you know, fortunately for you, setting up a theatre in the middle of the hillside in Burundi is actually more of a distraction than the white guy setting it up. So you're welcome to come along and do this with us. (laughs) And I was like, great, you know, sign me up. If that's it, that's what I'm going to do. So with my friend Francois, uh, the guy who heads up the, the outreach. Over the course of two weeks, we drove about 1,200 kilometres around Burundi up into the remote locations in the mountains and we managed to visit with about half of the 30 teams uh, that were out on outreach and we were able to show the Jesus film in the local language in 11 communities that had never heard the gospel message before. We've got a picture here of of one of the unless it's come on. There we go. Um, we set up the screen and the projector right in the middle of a market in the in this one town, and it just draws in huge crowds. It's it actually not a distraction, but it's a focal point to have something so new and exciting come into these towns. And we would show the Jesus film, and we would pause it at the crucial moments, and Francois would take his microphone and actually explain to the crowds, you know, what's going on here and what what it's all about, and at the end of, of showing the film, then we would invite the local pastor to come and give him the microphone, and he would do an invitation uh, to people who had been watching it. And in some of these communities, like dozens, and in some hundreds of people were coming to faith and getting connected into their local churches, and it was just, it was unbelievable, actually. It was like being in, in the book of Acts. In verse 247, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, simply because we were able to present the the Jesus film to them. There was just so many people coming to know Jesus. And it was exciting, but that outreach also taught me a whole lot more about what God is doing in the world today. In one of the the communities we visited, there was a woman in the hills where a team of harvesters was, was we called the the young people the harvesters, they visited this woman and she hadn't been able to walk in three years. She had to either drag herself around or get carried everywhere she wanted to go for three years. And the team visited her in her house and spent some time talking with her and said, you know, is there anything we can do for you? And she said, I want to be healed. I just want to walk again. And the team that was in in her house with her, they, they prayed for her and they prayed for healing and in that moment nothing happened and so they finished their visit together and, and then they left and went on to the next place. Well, it was the next day that Francois and I went into this community and joined up with this team and they were just about to go out into the hills again to meet uh, with the people they had talked to yesterday. So we went along with them and we got to this lady's house and knocked on the door and there was no answer. And so one of the guys on the team called out to her, we just, you know, we just want to talk again, but there was still no answer. And to, to let you know a little bit, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm being a missionary, I'm surrounded by these Brunian missionaries, you'd think that we would be a little bit smarter than we were, but we're not sometimes. Because there was this awkward moment, like the sinking feeling that all of a sudden settled on the group of us. And one of the guys actually said, I mean, mostly in jest, but he's like, I hope we didn't kill her. And like, we're, it's, it's, we're too thick-headed to think that something miraculous might have ha- happened. But then the neighbor of this lady across the small valley comes out of her house and yells something at us. And the guys I was with were all like got a bit of a confused look and said something back to her, and she called out again. And I said to Francois, I said, What what was she saying? I didn't I, I didn't understand it. And Francois looks at me and says, He said, You know she just said, Why are you looking for her here? She has gone back to work. You will find her in the fields. And as much as we had this sinking feeling and and couldn't believe that something would happen, all of a sudden we got this like uplifting feeling of almost getting just a glimpse of what the women at the tomb must have felt when the angel said to them, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And sure enough, we got pointed in the right direction and we went out into the field and, and we found her. There she was. Uh, she had a hoe in her hand, and she was working up the small piece of land that she owned to get it ready for planting. She walked there. Three years, she hadn't been able to walk. And she was healed and went out to work. And one of the guys on our team still was like, you know, are you sure you're okay to be working? And she said to us, she said, "Uh, yeah, I recognize God has healed me, but not so that I could stay in my house. He's healed me so that I could come and work the land and provide for myself and tell other people what God has done for me. that church is an exciting experience to be a part of. And in another town, we were talking with a pastor, this is a couple days later, and he's telling us that he'd been meeting with a couple who came to him uh, and they had a son who had been unable to see anything since he was born, completely unresponsive to to visual stimulus and presumably blind. And again, this team of young harvesters went to visit this couple and their, their son in, in his house, and, and again, they prayed for him that he would be healed, and, and again, in that moment, nothing happened. But the next morning, the parents of this boy showed up where the team was staying, and they said, well, you know, what did you do to our son? And they were, again, because we're not so smart, they were really confused and said, well, I, we don't know, let's come with you. And they went back to this couple's house, and their son was walking around, looking at stuff, seeing it for the first time in his life. And even the neighbors in this community were standing there saying, something amazing has happened here, and we don't know what. And the team stood up in that community and said, this is the the power of Jesus to heal people. This is what's going on. And they shared the message. And after that, this boy's parents and many others from the community came to the church and said, we need to know more. We need to know more about the power that can take a child born blind and make him able to see. And again, it's this this feeling like, doesn't that not sound familiar? Like John chapter 9, verse 32 and 33, we read it. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man they're talking about Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, just like Jesus healed this man in John chapter 9 2,000 years ago, he's still healing people today. And the whole of this two-week campaign that I got to go on was like this. Stories of people being healed and, and miracu- miraculous healings and miracles happening. And even one guy we got to meet who had a vision in a dream while he was sleeping that a group of young people was coming to him with an important message. And when he woke up from from his nap in the afternoon, he went to his door and he looked outside and sure enough, there was a group of three or four young people walking up towards his house. And they said, you know, can we talk to you? And he said, please, I've been waiting for you. You have an important message for me. I need you to tell me what it is. And they shared Jesus with this guy. And he believed, having never gone to church, never heard about God before, miracles happening in dreams. These are amazing things that God is still doing, even today, even though it sometimes feel like the stories we read are, are great for 2,000 years ago. It's still happening today. Amen. And that's the exciting stuff. And I wish that every day of the five years that I lived in Burundi, or almost five years, were as exciting as those two weeks. But in reality, life isn't always that exciting. These are the conversion experiences. These These are the exciting pieces, the ones that are great to put into newsletters and send to people. But the everyday part of mission, just like in the book of Acts, is not always full of amazing stories that are are worthy of being put into writing, right? Even in in the book of Acts, we've got chapter uh, 19, verse 8 to 10. He entered the synagogue, it's talking about Paul. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's two years and three months of Paul's life summed up in three verses. Despite the fact that it tells us every resident in Asia heard the word of the Lord. The every day gets three verses. And contrast that to the next two verses, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. You get three verses for two and a half years of work and then some handkerchiefs and aprons that are miraculous get the next two verses. It just doesn't seem fair but that's what happens, right? It's the exciting stuff that people want to hear about. It's, but... In actual fact, it's the every day in the work of ministry where discipleship happens. Walking alongside each other, doing life together, where Jesus is the center of all that you do. That's actually the every day. And a lot of what we were doing in Burundi as capacity builders was just spending time with Burundian people who are looking for better ways to share their experiences with God, with other people. They wanted to tell others about the amazing things God was doing in their lives, and they were looking for ways to be able to do it better. So for me, that actually involved working with a number of different organizations, helping them to build better administrative, organizational, and financial processes. For Cheryl, my wife, that meant working with a school and the principal at the school to develop a curriculum for a kindergarten class in in the French language. It also meant teaching people how to use computer programs and building really cool spreadsheets that were going to help keep track of things better, which, which for me is really exciting, but for most people, they just don't care about that. But that's a lot of what our day-to-day looked like, was boring stuff, but just walking and working alongside people to help them to be able to better bring the gospel to those who hadn't heard it. So Paul gets a lot of mentioned throughout his career as church planter and missionary but if we go back to the text in first John uh, if we pick it up in in verse three we get to really see what is the purpose so he says we've seen we've heard we've experienced this but what does he say next so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete, or may be complete. So what's he saying here? What's actually the point of the experiences and sharing them with others? It's to bring, bring believers together into fellowship with each other and into fellowship with God. The work of mission, so to speak, doesn't stop at the exciting experiences it doesn't stop at conversion it doesn't stop at the miracles that's actually the beginning of the journey and we share these stories because they are amazing but in order to get to that next step we need to share about discipleship so that our joy may be complete because here we actually have John John the guy who writes this was there right from the beginning we know he was one of the first disciples that Jesus called and he walked with Jesus throughout his entire ministry here on earth and he was described as, as the one whom Jesus loved. This was a guy who had the experience yet he essentially disappears from the story of the early church not long after it begins. Him and Peter get lots of uh, airtime in the beginning of Acts but he, he actually, after Acts chapter 8 we don't hear John's name again in the setup of the early church. You know, eventually he goes on to, to write the Gospel of John and these letters that bear his name and the, and the book of Revelation, but in the history of the early church, he gets to chapter eight and then it's kind of gone. So where, where was he? I mean, you know, we're not actually told what he was doing, but when we can see what he was doing later on in his life in writing these letters, uh, it's pretty safe to assume that he just spent the rest of his life doing the everyday. He never stopped telling people about God, and he never stopped walking alongside people and bringing them into fellowship together. For him, living life seemed to be doing mission, and it's reflected in what he writes here. And for us, that's essentially what life was like living in Burundi. The same as it is here, most of what we were doing was just walking alongside people in discipleship, just in a slightly different context. This outreach campaign that I was on last year, um, so I say this was the 15th year that they did it. And, And one of the beautiful things about doing mission and doing life together is sometimes you get things wrong and then you can fix them going forward. Because after each of the outreaches that's been going on for how many ever many years, there's, they have debrief meetings and they talk about you know what what went well, what can be done differently. And at one of these meetings, someone asked the, the leadership. They said, you know, what is being done for follow up for all these people that are hearing the stories and, and coming to faith? What kind of follow up is being done? And actually, it was discussed that there's no follow up at all. We have a bunch of people going out doing outreach for two weeks. We have all these miracles happening. We have people coming to faith. And then the missionaries returned to wherever their homes are, and there was no follow up, no discipleship, no fellowship. Just a group of young people on fire for Jesus, going in and going out, and nothing happening else. So, this last year, getting ready for the campaign, well in advance, we got in touch, we, I say we, the leaders got in touch with uh, churches around Burundi and said, hey, are you interested? in partnering with us because, you know, we've been doing this wrong, I think. And the response that came back was just overwhelming. There were more churches asking for teams to come and work with them than there was actually teams available. It was over and over again the response was, the, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So based on the locations and the relationships that, that we had, the 30 teams that went out were sent to areas where they could partner with the existing churches which could not only experience now the campaign together of outreach but then also take on this mantle of discipleship that's necessary once the the outreach has ended. So we have a group of young people having these incredible experiences but also connecting the people coming to faith into fellowship with the local church and giving them opportunity to step into discipleship in order to do also the everyday together. And it actually became a, just a beautiful example of how to bring people together with different gifts to work together for the kingdom of God. So again, what's the point of it all? You know, why, why do people have amazing experiences and tell these stories? And why do we encourage one another? And again, the text it just wraps it up so nicely. John tells us, we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Because once you've encountered God and shared this with people and walked alongside them and discipled them and been discipled by others and fellowship together and then bring others into fellowship with God himself, then our joy may be complete. Here at Central, we just finished a 12-week sermon series through the summer about joy, And I I can't obviously summarize up all 12 weeks, but just going back to the very first week, when Paul also starts writing his, his letter to the church in Philippi, he says in verse three to five, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. John and Paul are bringing the same message. They're, they've encountered God. They're sharing the love of God with others. And the fact that, that these guys are now walking alongside with their brothers and sisters in Christ from the first day until where they are now is where they find their joy. It's what makes their joy complete. So I have one more story from, from this outreach that I was on. It's a a guy here named Magongo, which is a great Burundian name. And he started out with what was just a small infection by his eye. But because he didn't have access to health care, it ended up turning into something like a a tumor, which took up almost half of his face. So a team went and visited him during the campaign, and, and they prayed for him as well. They prayed for healing. But he wasn't healed. So here's kind of the other part of the everyday. Amazing things were happening, but not always miraculous healing things like this. The exciting and the miraculous make for good stories, but, but let's also be reminded that God works in other ways also. So the team shared uh, the good news about Jesus with this guy, Magongo, and prayed for him. And he, no, he wasn't healed, but he was moved in, in the spirit. And he believed and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so the team working in this community that had had talked to him actually began using his story out in the community a little bit in order to share the gospel with others. And it turns out that most of the people in this community didn't even know that he was there or that he had this illness. And what happened was that this community... And this is now both believers and non-believers alike began to rally around this guy and they actually took uh, a pool and raised some money for him to be able to get medical treatment. And while these people were rallying around him, he he began to just share the love of Jesus with them in his community. And he began to testify that it was Jesus who brought this community to help him when he seemed so hopeless. And from the actions of the believers in this This community and from the testimony of Magongo, the church in that little town ended up growing stronger and growing in number every day because they came around to support a brother. And Magongo actually was never healed from that, and he passed away late last year. And he was in pain and he suffered, but he encountered God, and now he is in fellowship with Him, and he'll have everlasting joy with God in heaven. And the church also that he leaves behind in that community carries on in their fellowship. They carry on stronger than before and have this new mandate to reach out to their community. It's also a miraculous thing. And this story, I I wrote it last year after after experiencing that. And I was reflecting on it this last week. And it all of a sudden became very personal for me. Because my father-in-law actually just passed away four weeks ago, and, and my father-in-law had been sick for several years leading up to this, and uh, a decline in his health was actually one of the reasons why we returned from Burundi earlier than planned. And I can tell you there was not a lot of joy in seeing him so sick and seeing his health go down over the last few months. God never called my father-in-law to move away to another country to be a missionary. He didn't plant churches here, he wasn't a pastor, He wasn't a preacher but his life was actually a testimony to what God did for him and what he experienced with God was what he then proclaimed to others who encountered him and at his funeral a lot of people were saying a lot of amazing things about him and about his faith and I found myself at one point actually stopping and thinking like man I hope people can find this many good things to say about me eventually when my, when my time comes. And then like, shortly after that, I realized just the complete utter foolishness of that thought. And I realized that my father-in-law never lived a single day of his life with the hopes that people would one day say something nice about him at his funeral. He lived his life as a servant of God and all the things that people were saying about him were because of what we heard and saw that God was doing in his life. And also out of this story and out of this service that we had for him, people were impacted. People who hadn't picked up a Bible in years, if ever, were talking with us afterwards saying, ah, oh, I need to read my Bible more. Or man, I need to go and tell such and such about Jesus before it's too late. Or just people saying, that really impacted me. And though you know, walking through someone with an illness like that was absolutely not fun, And we prayed for healing for him, and it didn't come. But I have to ask myself, you know, is my joy being made more complete knowing that his life was a proclamation of Jesus to the world? He lived for Jesus, and his life pointed others to Jesus. And as a result of his life, people are coming into fellowship with God because of how he lived. And that gives me joy. So, the exciting experiences that we got to be part of are a great way for God to open people's eyes to who He is and what He can do, but is every day of our lives from that moment on into the everlasting in which we actually all need to be living together on mission. So, I'd like to invite you all to spend some time this week reflecting on your life on mission, whether God has called you overseas or called you to stay right here in Chilliwack or anywhere else, and be able to look around and say, what is it that helps my joy to be complete? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you um, have called us into fellowship with you and into fellowship with one another. And we thank you that uh, you've given us this mandate of going and making disciples of all nations, starting right here with our own and going all around the world. God, that you would give us each such a clear uh, direction in what you would have us do for your kingdom daily, how we can share about you, Lord, and that you would give us the heart to do so.